Well, it is good to be here again. Um, had a history of being, uh, being in this pulpit, whether it's this or the old sanctuary. In fact, uh, I've preached more in this church than anywhere else in the United States. I uh, hope that's been a good thing for you. It has been for me. Um, but uh, on the other hand, it's good to... Good to uh, no, there is no other hand. Forget that. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, you have been part of our lives for a number of years. Um, you're one of the very first churches that when we figured out God was asking us to be church planters in Japan, you got on board with us. We had a group of people that prayed regularly. Help us find the partners who are going to be with us. Yeah, money is a big part of that. But people who would pray regularly for us, who would encourage us, and uh, you have been one of those answers to prayer over the years, and I thank you for your faithfulness that way and for being part of that in the lives of a number of others as well. Uh, your heart for the peoples of the world is clear and uh, may the Lord bless you so that you can continue in turn to be a blessing to others. Let's just uh, pause for a moment of, of prayer as we begin here. Our Heavenly Father, for some reason, you have chosen to speak clearly to us. You've reached into our lives and our hearts, and you have said, Come, be my child. Without that, Lord, we would be wandering nothings. But with that, Lord, we are your prized and loved children, and we give thanks to you that you, that you love us to that extent. You would take time out of your busy eternity to even think about us. So Lord, this morning, continue to speak to our hearts. We've sung words that have entered our thoughts. Continue to speak to us, Lord. And may our hearts in turn speak back to you. Back, back many, many thousands of years ago, Lord, the children of Israel spoke to their leader Moses, saying, Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but do not let the Lord speak directly for, to us because we will die. But Lord, that's not how we pray. We pray along with the great prophet Samuel and humbly and earnestly beg you, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak then, Lord, for your servants are listening. For you alone have the words of eternal life. Speak to us, Lord, to comfort our souls and to change our whole lives. And in turn, may we give you praise and glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Lewis Carroll, who wrote Alice in Wonderland, had an interesting little phrase in that book. I, at least I hope it's from that book. I never read the book. I was never really excited about Alice in Wonderland. It seemed too strange. But the phrase is this. If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Maybe initially it sounds like nonsense, but it really is true, isn't it? If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. 
Well, Jesus, he had no doubts when he was on this earth where he was going, how he would get there, and who was going with him. At least six times in Scripture, we read these two words from Jesus, follow me. Perhaps in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, we have the clearest statement of that from Jesus. It says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Peter and Andrew, the brother of Peter, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they had left their nets and followed him. Follow me. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Probably heard stuff about that a good part of our life, at least in our church life. What I want to tell you this morning is that International Ministries of Converge, the organization that I'm a part of and that this church is a part of, uh, Converge as a whole, but International Ministries that we have thought long and hard how we are to be answering that question. And we've come up with a very clear vision statement, I believe, and it's simply this, to reach people no one else is reaching, we must do some things no one else is doing. And so our vision statement is simply this, we are asking God for a gospel movement among every least reached people group in our generation. We must ask God for that. Now, if you've ever done a vision statement in your business scene or wherever you're at, you probably are saying, gee, that's kind of stupid to start a vision statement with asking God for something. So let's cut that off for a second. We want to see a gospel movement among every least reached people group in our generation. You cut God out of that, don't even bother to try. It's not going to happen. We're asking God for a gospel movement. What might a gospel movement look like? I need you to go ahead at least one or two more. There we go. That's the one I want. That's the picture I want. Before I get into that, I'd just like to talk about Target stores for a moment. Any of you know where the very first Target store is? Still there. Yeah. Snelling and County Road B. That was the number one store, okay? I remember coming out of there one time, and a person, I, I, I don't think I knew them, but it doesn't matter if I did or not, they, they were just kind of disappointed because whatever they wanted to buy was sold out there, but they were told, go down to the one on University Avenue in Midway. And they said, I'm not going down there. People down there aren't like me. I'm going to stay away. Now, I'll see if I can tie that story back into what I'm going to say now. At first service, I did. Now I feel like I've lost it already. But anyway, we'll see. A couple of years ago, I was able to go to India. It's the first time I've ever been to India. I had a colleague, Mike, who for years was saying, David, you've got to go to India. It is amazing what God is doing there. Um, the numbers of people, you just can't believe how many people there are. The smells, the sights, the sounds. It's just absolutely amazing. And he painted this picture that seemed too large 
for life. And then the crowning point, which made sure that I never, ever wanted to go, and he said, and then there's this time when we go up into the very far northeast, pretty close to China, and if you can get on the government helicopter. Now, the government helicopter was a Soviet-era helicopter, not Russian-era, Soviet-era. And the Soviet-era ended when? 1980-something? So this was a really old helicopter. And he said, you get in the helicopter and it's surrounded by a ring of people with fire extinguishers in case the engine catches fire. I said, yeah, Mike, I really want to go. Anyway, I finally did get a chance to go. And the first thing I'll tell you right off the bat is the picture Mike painted, it seemed unreal. It was unreal because it's much more than you can ever describe. India, there's no way you can exaggerate about what you see and hear and smell in India. So anyway, we're on this trip where we get off the main road and start to head down a dirt road and we go underneath this arch. And written in whatever language it was, because we're, we're going to see these people, these are called Raba, whatever language they speak was written on there and our, our host, if you will, our guide said, you know what it says on there? I said, no, I can't read it. He said, it says, you're now entering land that is dedicated to Satan. Hmm. Well, would you rather go to Target where the people are who aren't like you or would you rather go to a land dedicated to Satan? That's how I tied it together, I guess. So we drove in there and we came upon about 25 people or so. You're seeing just a few of them there. And we listened to their story. Four to five months earlier, someone had brought the gospel into their village. And a woman immediately followed Jesus. And she became an evangelist immediately. And she talked to others and led them to Jesus, who in turn talked to others and led them to Jesus, who in turn talked to more and more. There are five generations. So you have the first woman people she talked to, the people they talked to, the people they talked to, and the people they talked to. Five generations in five months, followers of Jesus in this place. Well, the rest of the villagers didn't appreciate having Jesus followers amongst them, and so one night after they had fortified themselves, a number of the men, with enough alcohol, they decided to attack these Jesus followers. So that first woman who followed Jesus, they tried to cut her head off. She's got a pretty good scar across her cheek. They missed. They beat up the little kids. They tore the houses apart. Took whatever was valued, destroyed the rest. Chased the people out of there. You'd think that was enough, but things got even worse. See the guy with the uh, Union Jack on his coat? He's being charged with murder because one of those men who fortified himself too much with alcohol, stumbled, fell, hit his head on a rock and died, and they're blaming him for his death. That's the scene. And here we are listening to the people tell this story in a very calm, quiet way, and then they get up and they start to sing. I don't know what song they sang. I've never heard the tune. I don't know the words. But they sang and there was a joy on their face, all except that man with that lighter blue sweater, that older man. And as he sang, his body shook and tears just ran down his face like crazy. I wondered, is he crying because of everything he has lost to be a follower of Jesus? Or is he crying because he understands what Jesus paid the price for him to now be a follower of Jesus and live forever? 
That is a gospel movement. Masses of people. In this case, oh yeah, we're, at that time, we're only 30 or so. But masses of people who decide together, I'm going to follow Jesus. Not just one or two here and there. It's a group of people. Well, to reach people no one else is reaching, we must go among the least reached peoples of the world. There are something that we call in the mission world UUPG, which is unengaged, unreached people groups. The unengaged word, that first one, is, ought to be a word that makes us get angry. Because what that simply means is there's a people group that no one has bothered to take the effort, the time, to try to tell them about Jesus. We've totally ignored them. Let me be very blunt. That is not the plan of God for his creation. I think it's even fair to say he is not pleased that that situation exists. Man, if nothing else happens, if you walk out of here today and that statement alone disturbs you so that you begin to do something about it, we'll have we'll had a good time here. Imagine that. 265 groups of 500 or more people are in this world that no one has even really tried to tell them who Jesus is. It is a difficult thing to go after the least reached peoples. By definition, least reached peoples are those who have 2% or less that are followers of Jesus. And as I said, you get down even farther where no one's even tried, we call those unengaged. But 2% or less, there's a reason that they are hard to reach because it is a sacrifice. It is a sacrifice. One of my colleagues wrote about a woman she had met. This woman, well-educated, could have been doing a number of things in the nation in which she lived, somewhere in Asia, I'll just leave it at that. But she works in a sweatshop making clothing. Long hours, little pay. Maybe some of you are even wearing some of the clothing that came out of that sweatshop. She barely earns $3 a day, but she does this, gives up a life that could be much easier. She does this because she knows that the people with whom she works do not know Jesus. I wonder, what is my sacrifice? What am I willing to do to share Jesus with those who have never had a chance to hear? We don't talk about this a whole lot in present-day Christ, you know, evangelical Christianity, but the, the second coming of Jesus, once in a while we may refer to that. Do you know what? How many hundreds of millions, perhaps billions of people in this world are still awaiting his first coming? This world is going to come to an end someday. You want to know what the sign of that is? Let's take a look at this scripture. Um, Matthew 24. It's taken from the message, so it's a little, little bit uh, more uh, contemporary, I guess, in its language. But staying with it, that's what God requires. Stay with it to the end. You won't be sorry and you'll be saved. All during this time, the good news, the message of the kingdom will be preached all over the world. A witness staked out in every country and then the end will come. A couple of years ago in August, remember we had a uh, 
solar eclipse during the day, right, in August. Any of you go outside to look at that? Yeah, I was in Idaho with my, with my son and daughter-in-law, and uh, remember, you know, everybody's looking up at the sky to see this. I was looking at the shadows on the ground. They were kind of cool, you know, they're fuzzy. They're fuzzy in a solar eclipse. But what I remember more than that is the numbers of times I read about this, people saying, this is the sign of the end of the world. Was that the first solar eclipse we ever had in history? No. I don't really think that was the sign. But this scripture, this is the sign. A witness staked out in every country. The unengaged peoples of the earth will have a chance to hear who Jesus Christ is and then the end will come. Maybe this is harsh to say, and I can probably look in the mirror and say it about myself just as much, but I don't meet many people in America who have this strong desire to see the end of this earth come for all people to find Jesus Christ. If you're... If any of you are like me on occasion when I'm sitting in worship, not today because I'm up front, so I can't do that. I'm not listening to what's being said up here. I'm wondering how much longer can I go home and watch the Vikings. A witness staked out in every country, and then the end will come. To reach people no one else is reaching, we must ask God to do this in our generation. Now, when we made that vision statement, we are asking God for a gospel movement among every least reached people group in our generation. We, we talked and had a good fight about what does that mean in our generation? Shouldn't we set a date? No, the point is we don't, you know. No, here, here's why we chose this word. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but somewhere in this group today, one of you is the oldest person here, okay? And somebody else is the youngest person here. What if every least reached people group had a gospel movement in the generation of the oldest person here? Chances are the oldest one, whoever you are, is not going to live another hundred years, okay? Would that excite you to see Jesus come again and bring all of his people to himself in your lifetime? You want to hear my answer? It ought to, but it doesn't as much as I wish it did. I'm being totally honest. And this is my job. I don't know why it doesn't carry as much pull in my heart and I suspect in your hearts as God might desire. Twenty eleven there was a major earthquake off the coast of Japan, the east coast of Japan. It's created a large tsunami. Over 20,000 people died in that. Not too terribly many months after that occurred, I was in a city, a small city, 
that had been badly affected by this. And I, I met a woman, and she told her story. She said how she had been inside the house and everything shaking, and, and, uh, and suddenly she ran out outside, and she could hear this sound, and here comes this wall of water. So she climbed the tree, and the water is lapping around her knees there, and she, she's shaking, that tree is shaking, because, I mean, we're, we're talking about, you know, three, three and a half meters of water that has come in just like that. And uh, I had to use meters because that's what they use in Japan, so they don't talk about feet. But anyway, um, she said she was in that tree. She could see not 15 feet away. Oh, I just said not, not, not three meters away. Let's go with that. Four meters away. Um, five. Five. We'll go with five. The neighbor in the second story, and so she yelled out to her help, and the neighbor came and opened the window and reached out and closed the shutters, turned her back on the woman in the tree. So she thought, I better do something soon because it's March, snow is starting to fall, that water is cold. And here comes an object along. She thinks it might be large enough, I'll jump on it, it's the only chance I've got. She did, she went down a house or two and jumped onto the carport uh, roof, pounded on the window, and the voice inside there said, who's there? Isn't it funny how we can keep our senses about us that way even in the midst of a major catastrophe. But anyway, that, that family in that house ended up bringing her in and, and, and saving her. And, and she was able to live. What I simply want to say to you this morning is which person in that story does God, is he asking you to be? Is he asking you this morning to be the person who needs saving in the tree? He's asking you, trust me, I am your Savior. Is he asking you to be the person in the house that reached out and closed the shutters and ignored what was going on? Is God asking you to be the person in the house that says, who's there? Come on in and join us. The whole point of history is this. Jesus Christ is Lord and the day is coming when every knee shall bow. Not just ours who call him my Lord, but every knee will bow and call him Lord. And so we stand at the window. We can be in the house where we're going to shut the window, or we can be in the house where we open our arms. And the question is, what should we do? What does a follower of Jesus do? A follower of Jesus loves God with everything they have and their neighbor just as much as themselves. We take Jesus to where he is presently not found. Acts 20, 24 says, But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the grace, to the gospel of the grace of God. Look out that window. What do you see? What will you do? We have a couple from Singapore, Singaporean Chinese, who is working in China among a Muslim people group called the Hui. Next slide, if that comes up, you can see a picture of one of them. Sometimes referred to as the hat people. I don't know why. Can you figure that out, hat people? I don't get it. No, of course I do. Um, there are 
well, let's put it this way. If you took everybody in North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, and Nebraska, and you put them together, you'd have 14 million people. That's how many Hue there are. If we took perhaps all of the people who normally gather here on a Sunday morning, let's just round that off to a nice 400. The people who come to North Haven Church would represent all of the Christians in both Dakotas, Minnesota, Iowa, and Nebraska. That's what we're talking about. Our workers there are going after a radical response. They are sharing Jesus among a virtually unreached, virtually unengaged people group looking for a gospel movement to happen. Yeah, we could use you in a place like that. How many of you speak Chinese? That would be of great help. We had business. Okay, we could use some of that. I don't know. But we can use you in a number of places. But let's talk about what you can do while you're here. And that is uh, something I know I've shared when I've spoken here in the past. But the idea of adopt a terrorist for prayer. That next slide will give you a, a website address you can take a look at. ATFP.org. It's still a legit website as of a week ago anyway. Now, how many of you are really excited about adopting a terrorist for prayer? I mean, these are the people that, as we look in our more recent history, a terrorist seemed to have a thing against Americans. Why would I think of adopting one and praying for them, wanting them to come to Jesus? I'll tell you why, because there is historical precedent. Stephen was the first fatality in terrorism directed against Jesus' followers. He was being stoned to death, and as he was being stoned, he prayed, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And later, Paul, who had supervised the stoning of Stephen, met Jesus in a vision and repented. You think we can pray the same way Stephen prayed then? Would Paul have repented if Stephen had not prayed for him? If Paul had not repented and become a follower of Jesus, do you think this church would be here today? This stuff matters. This matters. Well, for us, there's a response that I think God is asking us to, to, to ask these questions about ourselves. The question is not, what should I like to do, but rather, what would the living one, Jesus Christ, have me do? And perhaps there are among you those who are saying, I'm ready. I'm ready to do something drastically different than I've been doing in my following of Jesus. I pray that may be so. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we stand at the window looking out. What would you have us do? Father, the words of Psalm 67 come to mind. God, be gracious to us and bless us and make your face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Amen.